You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, attorney Dan Mayer and licensed counselor, Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Today, Dan and I are going to be talking about reasons why private practice or group practice work might not be for you. Specifically, why owning a private practice or a group practice might not be for you. So if you're online as a clinician, you know that there are a lot of people who are consultants and coaches who are out there encouraging you to get into private practice and telling you all of the reasons why you can do it despite your self-doubts. And yet, Dan and I are going to talk about some of the reasons why this still might not be for you. In the counseling world or as a mental health clinician, there are a lot of people who have a tendency to put private practice work or group practice work on a pedestal. And there are other reasons why working at an agency or working for someone else might be a better option for you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we just wanted to show the other side of the conversation that you're probably hearing online. So, yes, if you want to have a private practice and a group practice, yes, you can learn the skills. And we're going to talk about some reasons why you might not go down that road. So I always I kind of want to start off by telling everyone listening, uh, running through with you the way I approach when I do an initial consultation with a practitioner for the first time. And one of the first questions that I ask practitioners when I first sit down with them is, and I say it exactly like this, I say, well, tell me your why. And someone, you know, used to be like, why, why, what? And I say, tell me your why. Why, what made you want to go into the mental health field? What made you want to become a practitioner? Why do you want to open up your own practice if they are looking to open up one or if they are looking to expand their mental health practice? Why do you want to expand your mental health practice? And I'll, you know, I'll get a variety of answers and and a lot of them are great answers. And, and some of them, you know, I also know then that sometimes the person's trying to figure that out and that's okay. But what I will tell you is that if you're going to be successful at running a mental health practice, your mental health practice, uh, you need to know your why. And what I what I kind of think about when I when I talk about owning a practice to practitioners, one of the things in the back of my head I always think about is, you know, I think of a, a big, strong oak tree. And like an oak tree, your why is the root system that is needed to anchor the tree to allow it to continue to grow and withstand the external forces of nature that may come its way throughout its life cycle. If you do not have a clearly defined why and a sense of purpose, it's likely that you're going to fail. Now, I'm not saying you will, but I'm going to say that the odds are against you. And it's not because you're a bad person. Maybe it's not even because you're a bad owner. But the passion that you need may not be there. The need is not there. And that's what you need to understand. What is the reason you're doing this? Why are you doing this? What is that purpose? Right? Because there are going to be tough times. Melissa can speak to this too. There are going to be scary times. And as a practice owner, there'll be those times where you're going to have nothing to sustain you except your drive as to, to succeed. So that why you're doing this, that purpose is what's going to drive you when everything else is telling you not to do it any further or to give up. And if you have a strong why, 
just like having a root system for a big tree, that's what's going to preserve you in the tough times. Okay. The second thing I often tell uh, practitioners is know yourself, right? And this is really, really important. Okay. Just as so you need to know your why, you need to know yourself, right? Are you a detailed or in person? Melissa is, for example. Okay. Do you make sure to cross every P and dot every I? Or do you get lazy sometimes, procrastinate or skimp and cut corners? Look, everyone does it occasionally. Okay. Because when you're owning and running a mental health practice, you need the former. You need to be the person who's detail oriented, who makes sure that every single thing gets done the way it needs to be done. The risk is that you potentially could fail, but more likely, since we are dealing with mental health, someone could get hurt, maybe even yourself, you could face serious legal or ethical compliance issues. So the other thing is you need to be someone who is comfortable taking risks. If you have a strong root system, if you have a strong why, if you have a strong purpose, if you are super believed in what you are doing and why it's important, I believe that you are someone who will be able to take that leap off a cliff and walk out in the middle of nothing and believe that you will land okay. You don't know that you will, but you believe that enough in yourself and your purpose that you think you will. And being a business owner means, especially if one that you need to expand a practice, that's what it's going to take. There are going to be times where you're going to have to have that feeling of terror where you're stepping out into nothing and you're not sure if it's going to work. But if you truly believe in what you're doing, that's what's going to push you forward. That's what's going to carry you through that scary time. And I think that those are important points because I think private practice work or owning a group practice is often glamorized and people imagine what that must be like. Like that is the big goal once you get out of school. And the reality is that it is really hard work. And a lot of times people aren't telling you about the realities that if you have a private practice or group practice, you, when you first start out, you might be the person vacuuming the carpets or you are the person who has to go shopping for the furniture and then lug it in the room. Uh, or you're the one who has to do all of the research for your documentation. There are a lot of things about private practice or group practice work that are challenging that you don't often hear about. And you are going to need to make sure that you have that passion and that drive to do all of those things. And if that passion and that drive isn't there, you might want to ask if that's the right direction for you. Yeah. I mean, think of it this way. Okay. When you start a practice or you have a practice and you're looking to expand it now beyond yourself to, let's say, hire employees, you are making a bet. You're making a bet on yourself. So if you're going to make that bet, then you need to be willing to do whatever it's going to take to make that bet pay off. Okay. And so that means that to Melissa's point, you're going to have to be the type of person who's going to be willing to do the grunt work. You're going to be the person who's going to be doing everything, especially initially. It's going to be times where it's going to be scary. On our previous episode, we talked about the team that you need to have around you. Having the proper team, including having the proper legal counsel, can help make those decisions that can be scary easier to make. Make sure that you have guidance on when you're making them, but you're going to be the one who's still going to have to pull the trigger. Now, to Melissa's point, I agree with her that there is a glamorous kind of sexy side to owning your own practice, okay? Absolutely, there is. You get to be your own boss. You get to be other people's boss. You get to set your own hours. 
you know, it can be very financially lucrative. Okay. But that is going to come with the territory of there's going to be a lot of work to do before you get to the point where you can be like, okay, I can take a deep breath now. Things are starting to run themselves. I have systems in place. I have people in place. I can go take a vacation. That's the reality. And if you're someone who's, who's like, that seems like too much work. And I've had that conversation with practitioners where they're like, man, that seems like a lot of work. And I'm like, that's no problem. But that tells me that you probably are at least now are not mentally prepared to do this and start your own practice. Right. I often think about that iceberg image that floats around the internet where it's like, this is what you see, the tip of the iceberg. And it shows like the word success. But below the surface, you don't see all of the other things that people are doing. Hard work, getting up early, working long hours. And I think that private practice work or group owner practice ownership is really similar. People see success. Oh, look at that accomplishment. That's so great. But they're not seeing all of the work that you've done behind the scenes in order to get there. And so you really do have to know that it's not all shiny and exciting. You know, it's funny because you used the iceberg. I was thinking of something similar, but I was thinking of a duck right? Or a swan, right? Swans floating on the water. It looks graceful. It's beautiful. You look below the water and those legs are probably pumping, right? Those legs are working hard, propelling it through the water. And that's the reality of ownership. Like Melissa said, what you see at the top that looks glamorous, that, that the way it looks like, oh man, it looks like it's so easy. I guarantee you, even the most successful practices, the biggest most lucrative practices, they have, especially the, the bigger you are, the more issues sometimes you're going to have, the more serious the issues you're going to have. But the thing is, the practices that succeed that are really big, they do so because they have systems in place. Why do they have systems in place? Because they went through a lot of grunt work to get those systems in place. So before you can go on, I don't want to say autopilot, but before you can kind of post a little bit, you need to have make sure everything is working in the car and the brakes are working and the steering is working and everything's good to go. And that takes work and time, right? So to Melissa's point also, there are some realities that you should be aware of about starting or owning a practice, okay? First thing and the biggest one is, guess what? It does take time and money, right? If you think you can just do this and actually do nothing, you know, just put out a shingle and do it, you can. Likely, that's about all you're gonna ever going to do. I'm being honest. I'm just, I hate to be brutally honest here, but that's the reality. Because there's really two types of people who start practices, in my opinion. There are those who just kind of open their doors and say, hey, I'm ready to serve your needs, right? Most of the time, I think that those people, they're not going to get very far. And then there are those who understand that there are a wide number of steps that you need to take before you even open your doors, right? Before you even set out your shingle and, you know, start taking clients on. I came across an article recently that talked about what some of the costs you will encounter in your first year of ownership. And I actually think within the first six months of ownership, this is probably more likely. And this is a list of things that you probably will have to do before you can even start seeing your first client or patient. Business entity formation, LLC, D Corp, S Corp, whatever it is you're doing. That's your liability protection. Um, depending on your tax st uh, status and structure, that can also affect your tax structure. Um, lease or rent office space. Uh, today, obviously, in the world of COVID, a lot of practices have resorted to teletherapy, but eventually 
with the vaccines now being more and more common, I do think we're going to start to open up. If you don't have a physical office space, at some point you probably will want one. Office utilities, office supplies, office equipment and furnishings, a practice management system. If you are still doing paper for your EHR, for your, for your health records, I'm going to be brutal. You're stupid. Sorry to be brutal. And that's about the only time I use it on this podcast is talk like that. But really, if you're not doing an EHR, an electronic health record system, you're asking for trouble. And that's going to cost money. Marketing costs, accounting costs, liability insurance. If you want, you're working for yourself and you don't have any other means to get it um, through a husband or a spouse or a fa- or family member, health insurance, renter's insurance. If you're renting space, you better have renter's insurance with some sort of general liability insurance too. You're going to have to pay business taxes. There are going to be website, tech, and digital costs. And it, yes, guess what? Hi, I'm an attorney. You will need an attorney. You will need to establish a relationship with an attorney. Even if you don't need to actually have them do work for you right away, the best thing you can do from the get-go is make sure you have a contact with someone who's an attorney who knows HIPAA, knows healthcare law, who can at least step in when needed. Because you don't want to be searching for an attorney if you get a subpoena in the mail all of a sudden, and now you're scrambling to figure out what to do. Better to have someone at least already have established a relationship with someone then if it happens, you have someone already on the call. Not a single thing on that list is probably going to cost you less than $100. So at a minimum, it's going to cost you $100. It could cost you up to several thousand for some of those things. And I read somewhere that the startup cost for a mental health practice is around $70,000, $100,000, probably, depending on what time of day you're listening to this. You may have just spit out your water or your cocktail or your uh, coffee. Um, some of you may have just lost your appetite. But um, let me just say, I don't know if that number is entirely correct. I don't think that's, I think that seems a little bit too high to me for a startup cost. But I will tell you that it's probably not unrealistic to say that after the first year, it might cost you $20,000 and when all of a sudden you're done, honestly. Um, and I think to go along with what you were saying earlier, Dan, is that the type of person that you are in your personal life or in your current job is the type of person that you're going to be as a practice owner. So if you are someone who has a tendency to spend a lot of money, you're probably going to be a spender when it comes to your business. If you're someone who's really thrifty and you don't want to spend the money, that's probably going to show up as well, right? Same thing as you were saying, if someone is disorganized generally, you'll probably bring that disorganization. And so those are just some things to think about when it does come to costs in terms of what person do am I? Am I the thrifty person? Am I the person who tends to spend a lot? Because that might influence your startup costs in particular based on who you are as a person. And do I want to do that? Do I want to be the person who puts out the money? That's one of the scary things for people is you're putting out money before you've ever made money. And that's one of the big things that can be really scary for new practice owners. Yeah, I think that goes again. Well, I think that's a really, really great couple of points. And I think that goes again to know yourself. You can be successful as a practice owner, a group practice owner, and be disorganized mess. You can do it. Because if you are that person and you know you're that person, then get people and get systems in place that will take care of that for you. And if you do that, then that does not have to be a liability for you. But if you're someone who doesn't know that about yourself or you know that and you're not willing to admit it and you try to do everything by yourself, it's not going to work, right? The other thing to know, and this is a topic or a conversation, I should say, that I have a lot of times with a lot of different practitioners at different points. 
It'll either, either come up during the course when we're first starting to talk about starting a practice, or if someone's already has a practice and now they're starting to expand, or more likely and very often will happen if they all of a sudden have an issue with an employee or a contractor and they're trying to figure out what they'll do, this conversation will come up with them. And that conversation goes something like this. I will point out to them that, yes, you are a practitioner, but that is not your only job. When you start a practice or you own a practice, especially if you are going to do a group practice, you are someone who's actually being employed for multiple jobs. You are not just a therapist, okay? You are a chief compliance officer. You are the CEO. If you are good with numbers or if you're just trying to do it yourself, which I don't advise, you may be the CFO. You are all those things on top of being a therapist. So your job, Outside of being a therapist, if you are a business owner, you are the protector of your practice. That is the job of a CEO, whether it's Google or Microsoft or a small company or a big company. Your job is to the company. Your job is to serve the company and make sure that the company's best interests are being served. You know, that's why you oversee a staff of people, right? Your job is to make sure the health of the company is enabling the company to continue. Right. So your job, number one rule as a business owner is to protect your business. Okay. And so what I tell clients is you need to be knight in shining armor to protect your practice. Right. If you're not able to advocate for yourself, if you're not able or willing, and there are some people who just, you know, the idea of confrontation, of conflict is just too intimidating and that's okay. But unfortunately, if you're going to own a practice, there's going to be conflict sometimes. And you have to be willing to either deal with it or accept that it's going to happen and help get people like a lawyer to help you deal with it, right? What I always tell people is if someone comes through your practice, if it's you know a client or if something else is happening, it's okay to get angry. You should get angry. You should be like, this is my project. This is my passion. You are not coming from my company. This is something I've worked really hard for. And I'm going to protect it. And that's the mentality you have to have when you are a business owner. Okay. And that's a very different mentality than what most practitioners are trained or even just naturally inclined to be. Because by the very nature of being a practitioner, I think you're it's much more collaborative. I think people who tend to lean towards being much more collaborative tend to become practitioners. And so that's a doesn't have to be completely adverse to it, but that is a very different personality type than, than your typical business-minded you know, minded person. So you're either someone who generally has that already built in. Melissa, I think, does. My wife is a business uh, practice owner as well. She does. Or it's something you have to learn. And if you can do, if you can learn it, and I think anyone can learn it, you can be successful. It's wearing a lot of different hats. I sometimes think of it as being the jack of all trades or a one-man band. Mm -hmm. And hopefully eventually you get other people on board to help you out with those things. But there are a lot of different hats you have to wear and certainly different roles that you have to take on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to that point, so, you know, a couple other cons to be aware of touching on Melissa's point, right? Yeah. All decisions are going to be based on you. At the end of the day, even if you're the biggest practice in the world, okay, at the end of the day, the buck does stop with you. You may have people who are delegating tasks to or running things. You may have an office manager. You may have a clinical director. That's great. But the person they're reporting to is you. And at right. the end of the day, if there's an issue and they come to you, the ultimate person who's going to make the decision about what the practice should do 
is you. The question is, do I want to be that person? Do I want the person with the responsibility of having to make that decision and to be the person who's going to have to own whatever consequences or whatever impacts come of that particular decision? Or would I rather be the person who's working for someone else who's like, ah, someone else made this decision and you know, I'm just doing what they told me to do, right? Or you don't have to be the one to own that decision. But as a practice owner, you are definitely the one who has to make the decisions and be responsible for the outcomes. Yeah. And again, I know I keep harking on this, but this is so important. It is all about knowing yourself, right? To Melissa's point, if you are someone, and there are sometimes people like this, and it's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, Okay, but if you're someone who does have trouble making decisions, if you're someone who's indecisive, if you're someone who uh, making big decisions stresses you out to the point where you can't handle it, there are some people who are not, and I'm just going to be honest, they're not meant to run an organization, and that's okay. Okay, but if that's your mentality, if you think to yourself, man, that is me, if you're listening to this right now and say that describes me, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not, it's impossible for you to run a practice, but it's going to be very hard because you are going to have times when you're going to have to pull the trigger and you're going to have to make a snap decision. Do I want to do this? Do I need to fire this person? You know, we have an issue. Do I need to call my attorney right now? And you have to make a decision. And, and it, it very, and as the business owner, as the CEO of your company, that's what, you know, in the big companies, that's what they pay the CEOs for, right? They're the ones who make these snap decisions. They may have help helping make the, make those decisions. But at the end of the day, when the, when the decision gets made, CEO is the one who helps make that decision. And I think that that's a good point, knowing that it's not that there's a good choice or a, or a bad choice, right? You know, right. your goal as, as a person is to make sure that you are finding a work setting that's a right fit for you. And while there's a lot of t- attention on owning a private practice or owning a group practice, that that work setting isn't going to be a good fit for everybody. It's not going to feel good for everybody. And certainly there are people who have started their own practices who are like, oh my gosh, I think I'm in over my head or I'm on this bus, but how do I get off? And so just know that the most important thing is going to be looking for a work setting that's really going to be the best fit for you. And to know that if private practice or a group practice isn't for you, that's okay. You want to be where you're going to succeed and work at a place that fits best for you and also for your lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's the most important. Look, there's so many things that are happening right now that are just stressing everybody, you know, Americans, people across the world, like COVID, trying to run a practice, trying to take care of your kids, trying to do daycare, schooling, pay the bills. I mean, I think, you know, if I can speak from an American perspective, but I think on a global scale, this is true. People, humankind right now, parents especially of children, are at mass capacity emotionally. And if you're in a position where you're running a practice and, and you're just, it's not working and you're, you're stressing you out for your own sake, for your own mental health, you need to maybe take a step back and think, is this what I want to continue doing? Because you're, it's not worth it to your health, not worth it to your mental health. It, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole, right? Now, a lot of you are probably sitting there thinking, oh, my God, they just scared the heck out of me. I never want to open, open up a practice while well, it's going to, but now I'm not. I want to talk to you a bit about the positives, okay? And I want to tell you that, yes, there are some really great benefits, okay? First off, guess what? We're really honest here. In America, we suck at handling mental health, okay? Our government sucks at handling mental health. 
Okay. The need for mental health services is so great in America that many of the practices that I know in this area have are filled to capacity and have waiting lists. Okay. So we know that there is not enough support or access to mental health. So opening up your pra own practice, you're doing actually doing something to help the world, in my opinion. And I don't mean to get all fuzzy and warm here, but I do really think that people who run mental health practices, people who are practitioners, are doing a really great deed for society. There is a desperate need for mental health services. The second thing is there is a real sense of accomplishment. You're doing something on your own. You are doing this. Okay. When you walk up to someone and say, hey, I run ABC uh, therapy group practice, right? What's the response? I'll bet you dollars to donuts. They're like, whoa, that's really cool. You run your own practice, right? Because it is cool. Okay. If this were easy, everybody would do it, right? It's not, right? And a lot do it and they fail. And so if you're doing it and succeeding, that's a really big accomplishment. And you should also take a moment to take a step back and pat yourself on the back, right? Here you are, Madam Member, owning your own practice. Go you. You're doing something that most people can't do or don't have the gumption or, you know, are too scared to do, okay? The other thing is money. We talked a lot about money. There is some costs, okay? But at the end of the day, the reality is you're your own boss. And that means you get to make money for what you do. And eventually, you can also hire other people to make you money, right? And so it can be very lucrative. And you do get to set your own schedule. You know, you can set your own hours. You can set and run a practice the way you want to do it. And that's really can be really rewarding, right? You just have to be prepared to Melissa's point to understand that that little tip of iceberg sticking above the water, that's not actually what it's going to take to get to all those positives. There's going to be a lot of work underneath that's going to come first. Yeah, so you see, there there are a mix of things to consider, right? On um, potential benefits, but also reasons why uh, a practice might not be for you. And to know that there's no right or wrong as long as you're finding the fit that is going to be for you. You know, I think the big question is, do I want to be a business owner? Do I want to go through the work of creating a business, owning it, managing it? Is that going to be for me, knowing that there are a lot of things that are entailed behind the scenes that you don't necessarily have to worry about when you're working at another practice or at an agency where you can show up, your office is there, your furniture is there, your stuff is there, your documents are there, someone has told you what to do and how to do it. There's certainly stability in that. And so you just have to ask yourself, do I want to be a business owner? Is that something I'm up for? And you're the only one who can answer that question for you. Yeah, and, and that's that's ultimately the, the truth is that everyone has their own compass. Everyone has their own truth. The most important thing you can do as a practitioner, besides the obvious things and being ethical and, and, and doing you know, what you're supposed to be doing, but the most really honest thing that you can do for yourself is to know yourself. If you don't know yourself, sit for a moment. Sit. Think about it, right? Think about yourself. Think about your character traits. Think about your what makes your flaws. Think about your strengths, right? And really think about it. And if you were in a position where you're debating whether to start your own practice or stay where you are at someone else's practice, think about a lot of the things we talked about. You know, if you're like, I am all in, I do all that, I believe in myself, I am, I can make this work. Yeah, you'll probably be successful. Okay. But if you're also like, you know what, that was scary. I'm really content. I'm earning a paycheck. I'm really content where I am. Then that's fine. There's no harm in that. No, you know, you're not required to open up a practice to be successful in the mental health world. And there's no price tag to put on contentment and peace of mind. 
Exactly. So I think that's about it for us today. Um, I want to thank you again for joining us for this conversation today. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts about what makes someone successful as a practice owner or what pitfalls people should know to avoid if they're starting or running a mental health practice. Or if you just want to reach out and say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on our website at www.protectingyourpractice.com or on our Facebook group. I do appreciate you stopping by. Stay tuned for our next episode where we talk all about liability insurance and the things to know about it. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks again. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.